1: Hi, I'm CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman, and this is part two of Disney's Wildest Ride, the inside story of a CEO succession plan gone awry. A cautionary tale about how good intentions collided with ego and hubris at the highest levels of corporate America. Part eight, a fight in Florida. A little more than a month into Chapek's tenure without Iger at the company, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, introduced the Parental Rights in Education Act, which critics called the Don't Say Gay Bill. The legislation would prohibit classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity. Disney is one of the largest taxpayers and employers in Florida, and Chapek and Morrell were soon fielding media inquiries about the company's stance on the matter. And employees particularly animators at Pixar and Disney Animation, wanted to know how the company planned to react. Iger tweeted his thoughts. If passed, this bill will put vulnerable, young LGBTQ people in jeopardy, he wrote. During Iger's tenure as CEO and chairman, he had freely pontificated about an array of causes, including climate change, diversity, and abortion. In a series of virtual meetings after the killing of George Floyd, Iger had told Disney employees that making their voices heard was the best way to bring about change, according to people on these calls. Chapek wanted to chart a different path. Weeks before DeSantis introduced his planned legislation, Morrell had outlined a new communication strategy to the board. He wanted Disney to stay out of political skirmishes entirely and instead signal its values through the three C's content, culture, and community organizations supported by Disney. Chapek and Morrell had assumed they'd have months to explain their strategy internally. But Iger's tweet dialed up the pressure on Chapek to say something. On March 7, 2022, Chapek and Morell put their new public relations strategy into action. They penned a memo to all staff, approved by the board. It explained that the company would not take a public stance on the bill. Arnold who was openly lesbian, signed off on the statement, but told Chapek that Disney should also sign a public letter by the Human Rights Campaign, or HRC. The letter, which had already existed for months, compiled a list of U.S. companies generically, quote, united in opposing the wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation. Chapek intended to sign the HRC letter, but didn't want to undercut the message of the initial statement. Morell and Chapek agreed that doing so would conflict with the company's new strategy of staying away from external conflicts, according to people familiar with their thinking. In the memo to staff, Chapek wrote, quote, Corporate statements do very little to change outcomes or minds. Instead, they are often weaponized by one side or the other to further divide and inflame. Simply put, they can be counterproductive and undermine more effective ways to achieve change. The blowback was swift. Employees chastised Chapek with hashtags such as Disney Do Better and Disney Say Gay. But Chapek and Morrell were convinced that this was the right thing to do for the company. They didn't want Disney in a culture war with DeSantis, with whom Chapek had a solid relationship at the time. They were also thinking about China, according to people familiar with the matter. Disney's Avengers Endgame made an astounding $614 million dollars at the Chinese box office in 2019. Disney also owns billion-dollar theme parks in Shanghai and Hong Kong. Chapek and Morel believed it would be far easier to avoid conflict with the Chinese government if Disney embraced a policy of not taking stances on social and political issues. Arnold told Chapek she'd been bombarded by furious comments from the LGBTQ community and sensed Disney's brand was at risk. Chapek would have to walk back the statement for the good of the company, she said. Red-faced with anger, Chapek laid into his communications team, telling them he regretted putting out the statement if the board refused to back him, according to people familiar with the matter. But Chapek was hardly operating from a position of strength. He didn't yet have an extension to his contract, which was set to expire in February 2023. Thumbing his nose at Arnold would hardly be wise. Chapek scrambled for a new public response. He walked back his statement at Disney's annual meeting, which happened to be just two days later. Quote, I understand our original approach, no matter how well intended, didn't quite get the job done, Chapek said, but we're committed to supporting the community going forward. Morell, who had already championed having community organizations lead the charge for Disney, suggested the company donate money to an LGBTQ cause, but he wasn't sure which one. He and Chapek landed on giving about $5 million to the HRC and signing the public letter. The HRC rejected the donation. Still unsatisfied, Arnold told Chapek he needed to formally apologize, specifically to Disney employees. Quote, You needed me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights and I let you down, Chapek wrote in a March 11 statement to employees that he and Arnold penned together. I am sorry. The labored apology only did so much. On March 22nd, hundreds of Disney employees held a walkout to protest Chapek's handling of the situation. Chapek agreed to go on a listening tour throughout the company to answer any questions and address concerns. In a late March interview with CNN's Chris Wallace, Iger had some veiled words for Chapek. Quote, When you're dealing with right and wrong, or when you're dealing with something that does have a profound effect on your business, Then I just think you have to do what is right and not worry about the potential backlash to it, Iger said. This was the second significant communications gaffe pinned on Chapek in less than a year. Chapek fired Morell in April, abandoning his plan to merge communications with government affairs. He replaced him with Christina Shockey, who co-founded the American Foundation for Equal Rights, an organization that led a legal challenge to restore marriage equality in California. Chapek's reputation within the company had been seriously damaged. As a new CEO, he didn't have the clout or internal respect to easily bounce back from missteps. An apt juxtaposition is how Iger responded in 2019 after making an unintended insensitive joke at a senior management retreat in Orlando. At the biannual multi-day gathering, executives participated in athletic events such as softball, horseback riding, yoga, and bowling. The games were frequently high-spirited. Former ESPN head John Skipper once ruptured his Achilles tendon playing volleyball at one of the events and was taken to a local hospital. In fact, that year, Kareem Daniel hit a little dribbler down the first baseline and ran full speed to beat out a hit. Chapek happened to be playing first base and charged toward the ball. Daniel steamrolled over Chapek, knocking the wind out of him, according to people who were there. About an hour after the conclusion of the athletic activity, with executives still buzzing over Daniel, smashing into his boss, Iger presented the Tinkerbells, spoof awards accompanied by some light roasting of the recipient. Iger showed a photo of Latandra Newton, then Disney's chief diversity officer, who was black, riding a white horse. Iger quipped, now that's a horse of a different color, a colloquial phrase used to compare two very different things. He added that Newton was always working, choosing to ride the white horse to focus on diversity when all the other horses were brown. There was a collective groan. Iger quickly realized he'd unintentionally brought the subject of race into a light awards dinner. After the ceremony, he found Newton and apologized. He spoke with her for about an hour the next day, too, and called almost 20 black executives who had been in the room that day to apologize. Iger called Arnold, too, to explain what happened. Quote, Bob apologized to me afterwards and we had an honest and productive conversation, Newton said in a statement. I forgave him. Bob has a long, irrefutable track record as a champion for inclusion and we continue to enjoy a positive relationship today. I consider him a friend. Word of Iger's blunders spread quickly throughout the organization, but it was a sign of the influence Iger commanded within the company and his established track record championing diversity including pushing to get the Marvel hit Black Panther made and personally mentoring Black executives, that the failed joke had little impact on his standing. The incident ended up being an example of how leaders who quickly and genuinely apologize can smooth over mistakes. Newton would stay at Disney for four more years, leaving the company in June. The episode is also emblematic of the importance of a unified communications team. The comment never leaked to the media. Had Chapek made a similar error, its doubtful executives, board members, and employees would have been so forgiving. Part nine, Chapek's mild triumph. The "Don't Say Gay" debacle was hardly an ideal prelude to Chapek's contract renewal talks in the spring, which were led by Arnold. But once again, he did have good news to highlight. Disney had weathered the COVID pandemic, in the first quarter of 2022. Disney's parks, experiences, and products segment saw revenues more than double to $6.7 billion compared with the prior year period. It was time to look to the future. Chapek outlined a bold vision to the board. He wanted to transform Disney into a modern media company, with Disney Plus a global dominant streaming service. Disney research showed the main complaint among Disney Plus users was its lack of general entertainment. Chapek intended to push Hulu and Disney Plus together to give adults more options, a, quote, hard bundle, he later called it. He also hoped to figure out a role for Disney in the metaverse and hired 50 employees to focus on, quote, next-generation storytelling, consciously avoiding the term metaverse to deter derision. Several Disney executives privately mocked the effort anyway, given the vagueness surrounding the entire concept. They wondered if Chapek was trying too hard to distinguish himself from Iger, according to people familiar with their thinking. Without Iger on the board, Chapek also felt emboldened to rethink ESPN and Disney's other TV properties. In particular, he wanted to consider spinning off or selling ABC and ESPN, a concept Iger had consistently dismissed but later floated in a July 2023 interview with CNBC. When Iger was chairman, Chapek was so reluctant to broach the subject of selling legacy media assets that he'd carefully massage the language in slide presentations to avoid annoying Iger, according to people familiar with the matter. Chapek argued that ESPN, under Disney, could have a future as a standalone digital business, unbundled from traditional pay TV. The hub of all streaming sports, as he and petaro put it, Chapek argued that ESPN under Disney could have a future as a standalone digital business, unbundled from traditional pay TV, the hub of all streaming sports, as he and ESPN head Jimmy Pitaro put it. Chapek wanted fans to be able to watch any game on an ESPN app, no matter who owned the rights. To make that happen, Disney would need to strike partnership deals with both the leagues and competing services, such as NBCUniversal's Peacock. Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime Video, and Paramount Plus, which may or may not have been feasible. Chapek was also starting to gain traction with the Hollywood community. He'd brokered peace on Johansson with Lord and repaired that relationship. Dana Walden, who replaced Peter Rice to lead Disney's TV division, invited Chapek to her house to meet A-list showrunners and directors. A majority of board members decided Chapek deserved more time to implement his own vision and he received a relatively short contract extension until July 2025. The message was clear. We believe in you as long as you keep delivering results. Chapek interpreted the contract renewal as a qualified victory, according to people familiar with his thoughts at the time. He couldn't help but view it in the lens of what it meant for Iger. On the one hand, an extension until 2025 would certainly make Iger's return less likely. On the other Chapek told colleagues, he feared Iger might turn up the heat against him, especially now that Iger was no longer bound by any fiduciary duties as chairman.
2: Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors.
1: Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Part 10, Chepek's Sudden Demise. Iger spent the summer of 2022 vacationing in the South Pacific on his yacht, working on a second book, attending the funeral of former Capital Cities ABC CEO Thomas Murphy, a longtime mentor, making some personal investments, and taking meetings with venture capital firms and tech startups that wanted him to enlist as an advisor. In September, he joined the board of venture capital firm Thrive Capital, founded by Josh Kushner. Yet, as Chapek suspected and feared, Iger's heart remained at Disney. One friend described Iger at that time as, quote, bored out of his mind, though others noted he appeared to be enjoying retirement. Privately, Iger continued to talk with past and present Disney executives about JPEG and the future of the company. Several urged him to return to Disney, according to people familiar with those conversations. In the first half of 2022, Disney was the worst performing stock in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, down nearly 40% as part of the Great Netflix Correction. Netflix's lack of subscriber growth in January, combined with rising interest rates and the end of the pandemic, had caused the market to revalue streaming companies. Suddenly, simply growing Disney Plus wasn't enough reason for investors to pump up Disney shares. During the summer, Iger reached out to Shockey, the new communications head, to wish her luck in the role. In turn, Shockey invited Iger to dinner. They shared common acquaintances. Specifically, former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama. Iger and the Obamas are friends, and Shaki was Michelle Obama's former communications director. Fearing Chapek may interpret the meeting the wrong way, Shaki told both the board and Chapek about the meal. Chapek was perturbed, according to people familiar with the matter. Shaki was supposed to be his communications director, and already she was dining with the enemy. Still, Although Chapek couldn't shake his fear that Iger was plotting a return as CEO, Iger both privately and publicly denied this. Earlier that year, he told journalist Kara Swisher the notion he'd return was, quote, "...ridiculous." Things finally came to a head in the run-up to Disney's fourth-quarter fiscal earnings report. By 2022, Chapek and CFO Christine McCarthy had a reliable pattern for earnings preparation. Disney board meetings are highly choreographed, and executive presentations are rehearsed ad nauseum. So, along with other executives, Chapek and McCarthy would rehearse presentations for weeks. Then when quarterly numbers were released publicly, Chapek and McCarthy would quarterback a conference call and and question-and-answer session for equity analysts. The pair would agree on all the numbers and divvy up topics for the Q&A. There were no surprises. In late September... Chapek and McCarthy prepped the board on what to expect for the upcoming November 2022 quarter. But this time, McCarthy began going off script. Not only did she reference numbers and forecasts that the two executives hadn't discussed, she bluntly told the board the quarter's financials were on pace to be very bad, according to people familiar with what was said at the meeting. McCarthy told the board that Disney earnings that quarter would fall dramatically short of Wall Street's consensus estimate of $0.55 per share. Quarterly revenue would be more than a billion dollars lower than projected. The quarter would be the company's biggest miss relative to Wall Street consensus estimates in a decade, she said. McCarthy attributed this grim outlook in part to the company's failure to alter its streaming strategy after the industry's revaluation... Triggered by Netflix's first quarter lack of growth. Disney now needed to prioritize profitability, McCarthy argued. She thought Daniel was overhiring in DMED, and that Chapek's restructure had created duplications throughout the company that needed to be addressed by layoffs, something Chapek would announce in November. Chapek was blindsided by McCarthy's responses. He had no idea the numbers would compare so poorly with street estimates. McCarthy hadn't told him she would be sharing such a blunt assessment of the business, according to people familiar with the matter. How could this happen? asked board member Mark Parker, according to people familiar with what was said during the meeting. Directors Safra Katz, Oracle's CEO, and Derica Rice, formerly president of CVS Caremark, peppered Chapek with questions about Disney's forecasting techniques and how division heads shared finance information with each other. Chapek struggled to answer and declined to blame anyone in the formal board meeting setting. In an executive session alone with the board, Chapek argued that if anything was amiss, it was McCarthy's poor financial management. After all, the division CFOs reported to her. McCarthy either wasn't sharing the numbers with him or hadn't grasped how bad earnings would be, he said, according to people familiar with the discussions. Chapek shared his frustration over McCarthy's surprising diversion from script with several of his colleagues. But he didn't express it to her directly, other than telling her she'd unnecessarily upset the board, said people familiar with the interactions. Besides, Chapek didn't believe the results were as dire as McCarthy was painting them to be. He pointed out Disney Plus was still adding customers at a torrid pace, $12.1 that quarter. As long as the streaming service was on pace to meet its goal of 215 million to 245 million subscribers by the end of 2024, Chapek believed the company was in good shape. Disney ended that quarter with 164.2 million Disney Plus subscribers. Kareem says we're killing it, Chapek told several colleagues, according to people familiar with the conversations. In the previous quarter, Disney shares had risen 5% after the company's revenue and earnings exceeded analyst estimates. By Chapek's reasoning, even if the fourth quarter was a disappointment, it was still just one quarter. McCarthy told colleagues she hoped her honesty with the board would jar Chapek into realizing that his rosy outlook of the business wasn't based in reality. McCarthy's relationship with Daniel and his team's finance leaders had totally broken down. McCarthy told colleagues DMED was supplying her with unreliable information, constantly changing its forecast, according to people familiar with the matter. Disney's 2022 management retreat in Orlando fell a few weeks before the November earnings call. Members of the DMED and finance teams gathered to figure out a strategy. General counsel Horatio Gutierrez told colleagues that people were entitled to their own opinions, but not their own facts. He half-invited, half-forced McCarthy, Daniel, Shockey, direct-to-consumer CFO Justin Warbrook, head of investor relations Alexia Quadrani, Brian Castellani, DMED's executive vice president of finance, and several others to hole up in a conference room for the bulk of the retreat. They missed most of the scheduled fun, such as interacting with animals at Animal Kingdom and getting to ride new theme park attractions without the lines, according to people aware of the meetings. Chapek had phased out the mandatory athletic activity from the Iger era. Chapek attended only a few minutes of the first strategy session. He spent most of his time at the retreat participating in activities that would showcase his personable side to employees. By this time, Chapek had grown a beard, which several colleagues told him he should keep because it, quote, humanized him. When several of the executives locked in the conference room found out that Chapek was having fun, including petting a hippopotamus, their collective frustration with him grew, according to people familiar with the matter. Coming out of the meetings, Shockey and Quadrani told Chapek the reaction to the quarter could be devastating. Chapek began referring to Shockey, Quadrani, and McCarthy as the quote, mean girls, a reference to the 2004 Lindsay Lohan movie, because he felt they were ganging up on him. Those who took a gloomy view of Disney's prospects he referred to as Eeyores, a reference to Winnie the Pooh's perpetually glum donkey friend, according to people familiar with the conversations between Chapek and his staff. On the day of the earnings, executives met at Disney's office on West 66th Street in New York. The finance team advised Chapek to deliver a sober message, acknowledging that the streaming division's net operating losses were more than double that of the same period the previous year, while emphasizing that Disney was playing a long game and would ultimately emerge stronger. Chapek refused to strike an apologetic note. McCarthy was particularly annoyed that instead of frankly addressing the results, Chapek waxed on about the promising ticket sales for Disney's Halloween event, Oogie Boogie Bash. The day after the numbers were released, Disney's share price dropped 13%, far underperforming the broader market. The following days weren't kind to JPEG. Activist hedge fund Tryon Partners, led by founding partner Nelson Peltz, took an $800 million stake in Disney, worrying board members that he may try to take a board seat and oust current directors. Separately, board member Katz privately told JPEG he was making a huge mistake releasing the animated movie Strange World, which featured an openly gay character. Katz, who was on former President Donald Trump's transition team, told him the movie was too polarizing and not up to Disney's quality standards. She warned Chapek a poor performance wouldn't play well with the board. Katz declined to comment. But Chapek and other Disney Studio executives knew they'd have to release the movie. The last thing Disney needed was to anger the LGBTQ community again. Disney released the movie on November 23, 2022. It was a giant flop, losing Disney about $200 million. Chapek's failure to heed the warnings of the people around him irked many executives, including some previously sympathetic to him. Walden, Bergman, and others spoke privately to Iger, who advised them that if they wanted to make a CEO change... They should speak to the board en masse. In a highly unusual move, board members also set up discussions with Disney division heads who rarely speak to directors outside of formal meetings. Shockey, McCarthy, Gutierrez, Walden, Bergman, and Tomorrow all told either Arnold, Mark Parker, or the entire board that they no longer supported Chapek as CEO, according to people familiar with the discussions. All declined to comment. The board decided Disney needed to make a CEO change. There was only one clear replacement. Walden and Bergman both lived near Iger. On November 12th, each took a walk with him in the neighborhood and told him they'd voiced their concerns to Arnold, according to people familiar with the matter. Walden asked Iger if he'd be open to returning. By this time, several other past and present Disney executives had also urged Iger to come back. Iger told Walden he'd consider it, although he didn't tell his wife, according to a person familiar with the matter. Early the next week, according to people familiar with the matter, Walden planned another walk with Iger for 3 p.m. on November 19th. Shortly before their scheduled stroll, Walden called to tell Iger she'd never had any intention of taking a walk. She made the appointment to ensure he'd be available for a call from Arnold, who formally asked him to return. Walden declined to comment. Iger and his wife, Willow Bay, talked it over. She told him that if the board was asking him to come back, he should say yes. The following day, Disney shocked its employees and Wall Street yet again. The board had fired Chapek, who wasn't even allowed to send a goodbye email. Less than three years after he gave up his job, Iger was once again the CEO of Disney. Around Christmas... Shockey, Quadrani, and McCarthy received presents from a colleague, pink sweaters, an homage to their mean girl history. Part 11. Iger's Rocky Return Michael Eisner and Bob Iger have been two of Disney's most storied CEOs, and there are some striking similarities between them. Neither wanted to leave the company, both had trouble naming a successor. Eisner declined to comment for the story. After 21 years in the job, Eisner lost his grip on the board and Disney's shareholder base. Disney's stock plummeted and Eisner resigned. That would have once seemed an unthinkable fate for Iger, who was now in year 16. And yet, Disney is arguably facing more problems than at any time in its history. The linear TV advertising market is collapsing, as subscribers cancel cable TV by the millions each year. ABC has finished last among the major broadcast networks in primetime ratings for the past two years. The collapse of cable is even worse for ESPN, which derives most of its revenue from affiliate fees from pay TV distributors. Attendance at Walt Disney World slipped this summer. In the past few months, Disney has laid off 7,000 people. The company is paying down nearly $45 billion in debt, much of which stems from the 2019 acquisition of Fox, which appears to have been a giant overpay by Iger and his strategy team. In August, Disney shares closed at their lowest point since 2014. Since Iger returned as CEO in November, shares have slumped more than 11% the S&P 500 is up more than 13% over the same period. Since returning, Iger has undone JPEC's streaming reorganization, fired McCarthy as CFO, and put Bergman and Walden back in control of budget and distribution decisions for their content. But those moves haven't been, and are unlikely to be, a quick fix for the company's woes. Under Bergman's watch, Disney has had a string of movie failures. This year, the live-action Little Mermaid, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Haunted Mansion have all disappointed at the box office. The Hollywood Reporter called the latter, quote, one of the worst starts ever among Disney's live-action reimaginings of theme park attractions or classic animated films. Meanwhile, Disney's streaming division lost $512 million in the quarter ended July 1st. The company still aims to break even on streaming by the end of 2024. It hasn't yet readjusted its target, which was reset in August of 2022, of having 215 million to 245 million Disney Plus subscribers by the end of next year, or 135 million to 165 million excluding India. Still, one person who helped set those targets said, lightning would have to strike five times for Disney to reach them. At the end of the most recent quarter, Disney Plus had 146.1 million subscribers, 105.7 million excluding India. That's about 16 million fewer Disney Plus customers than the company had on October 1, 2022, a sign that Disney has deprioritized adding streaming subscribers, especially in India, and that overall growth has slowed. Disney in August announced a 27% hike in the price of Disney+, Plus, to $13.99 per month, in order to accelerate streaming profitability. In late July, Atlantic Equities analyst Hamilton Faber pushed back his projected date for Disney to break even in streaming, to 2026. Consensus analyst estimates call for Disney to end 2024 with about 50 million fewer Disney Plus subscribers than the low end of its 2024 goal. Quote: With Iger led Disney raising Disney Plus pricing to push toward profitability, the chapek era sub-goals appear unattainable, said LightShed Media Analyst Rich Greenfield. However, with content engines all sputtering at the same time, subgrowth is the least of Disney's problems, he said. During Chapek's tenure as CEO, Disney lost more than a quarter of its market value. The pandemic clearly played a role in that. But Chapek should, in his own words, take the A, A for accountability, for some of his failures. Breaking with Iger was clearly not a sound strategy. Iger had nominated every member of the board, built the company in its modern form, and repeatedly struggled to walk away from the job. Had Chapek been able to better compartmentalize his insecurity over his job status, it's possible he could have brokered peace with his boss. But Iger must also take some blame for Disney's botched succession. Maybe Chapek was never the right person to run Disney, but it was Iger who picked him. For the majority of Chapek's tenure as CEO... Iger's public and private attitude toward him wavered between neutrality and active disapproval. Right from the start, he failed to champion the CEO he'd chosen. If Iger, consciously or not, undermined Chapek at every turn, that's on Iger, too. Iger agrees he bears responsibility, according to people who know him. That's part of why he returned to the job, the people said. In July, at a private panel at the Allen & Co. conference in Sun Valley, Idaho, Iger told the crowd that he had failed to vet his successor properly and that he wouldn't confuse operational track record for leadership again, according to people in attendance. The entire episode has also revealed the limitations of, quote, Disney nice. Avoiding face-to-face conflict, at least at the CEO and board level, fostered an environment where Iger and Chapek couldn't hash out their differences. Executives who openly challenged others Kevin Mayer, Peter Rice, Christine McCarthy, were all ultimately dinged for their frankness. Iger never went directly to Chapek with his concerns, even though Iger was Chapek's boss. Chapek largely avoided bringing up his fears with Iger rather than confronting the two men's issues. The systematic nature of the Disney board meetings didn't help either. Directors have recently realized that meetings are dominated by unnecessary formality, which has been a detriment to candid discussion, according to people familiar with the matter. Board members have pushed for more free-form dialogue, the people said. Succession planning is one of the few responsibilities that falls squarely on corporate boards. Turning Disney over to a CEO without giving him control of creative, the heart of the company, led to confused leadership and a near-inevitable power struggle. By skipping the one-on-one meetings with JPEC before appointing him, the board didn't know how his personality would mesh with Iger's if leadership clashes arose. So what happens now? Iger does want to retire at the end of 2026, according to people familiar with his thinking, and has said he's worked harder in the past nine months than at any time in his career. He doesn't want his legacy to be marred by a failure to choose a worthy successor. Disney is likely to choose its new CEO around the beginning of 2025, according to a person familiar with the matter. Iger has begun vetting candidates already, the person said. The board and Iger are considering processes in which Iger first names a chief operating officer as his heir apparent and sticks around as CEO or, once again, moves to an executive chairman role in 2025 to help with the transition. Either way, this would leave a little less than two years for Iger to hand the reins to a new leader, about the same amount of time he had with JPEC. The job description for the CEO of Disney is one of the most complex in corporate America. The person who leads Disney must identify hit movies, balance theme park pricing with attendance, run a news division, fuse intellectual property throughout the company's divisions, sell consumer products, tangle with governors, understand sports media rights, and make major acquisition decisions. A new CEO will also have to make difficult decisions about how to transition Disney into its next phase. Building new businesses at scale often leads to billions of dollars in losses before they become profitable. It's unclear whether Disney investors or the board would be willing to tolerate hemorrhaging cash. In 2019, Iger said Disney was all in on streaming, but today, it's unclear what that means. There are no obvious choices within the company as Iger's next successor. Walden, Bergman, and ESPN boss Jimmy Pitaro have never run theme parks and have limited international experience. Josh Damaro, the park's chief, has no media experience. Iger has built the entire company around him. He may be the only person capable of running it in its current form. Disney could bring back Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, the duo Iger once passed over by acquiring their company, Candle Media. But this would just be a tacit acknowledgement by Iger that he made an error in judgment the first time. While Iger has relied on Mayer and Staggs for strategy advice in recent months, he did not seek their input as a precursor for succession, according to people familiar with his thinking. It might be easier to choose Disney's next CEO by simplifying the company. Iger suggested to CNBC in July he might be open to divesting the legacy cable networks and ABC. Disney could also decide to spin off ESPN. Advisors to Iger have pushed him in this direction for more than five years, according to people familiar with the matter. Divesting assets may also make Disney easier to sell, much as Rupert Murdoch sold the majority of Fox to Disney. More than a dozen past and present Disney executives said privately they believe Iger's desired endgame is to stay as CEO for as long as possible and then sell the company to Apple. Iger's ties to the tech giant date back to his close personal relationship with co-founder Steve Jobs. But it's less clear that regulators would allow that deal. Or that Apple, which has never acquired any company of significance, would even want to buy Disney. Whatever materializes, the contract extension Iger got in July likely means he's going to be Disney's CEO for years to come. For now, internal candidates will do their best Disney nice to win over Iger and the board. And yet, it's entirely possible They'll spend the bulk of their careers working and politicking and pining for a job they'll never get. Just as it has since 2005, the magical world of Disney once again revolves around Iger. Everyone else is on his ride. The ride of a lifetime. I'm CNBC media reporter Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening to Disney's Wildest Ride. Now stick around for my one-on-one interview with CNBC's DJ Sixsmith about my journey reporting on Disney's Succession Saga.
2: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
0: Hey everybody, I'm DJ Sixsmith. I'm here with Alex Sherman, CNBC.com media reporter. Disney's Wildest Ride. Brand new story from this guy right here. Alex, how you doing? Happy to be here. It's been a long ride writing
1: the stories. Yes,
0: of- several months, over a dozen people, over 12,000 words. The
1: story's out. What's the reaction been like so far? So far, so good. Um, I think it's w- what I've been happy with is that the story seems to have some crossover appeal beyond just people that love media and love Disney. And those people, I think, are familiar with what I write in general. And uh, but, but I'm starting to get a sense that there's enough interest in just sort of thematically the themes of uh corporate dysfunction and these two leaders at the top of this company that didn't get along personally like there's a lot here that goes beyond just the media industry or even the business industry
0: so i want to take everybody inside the story it's about bob Iger, bob chapek disney a succession plan that did not go according to plan so let's go through a couple of stories let's start with the story about bob chapek his named successor Bob Iger wants to keep his office. He has a shower in there, that factors in. What's that story all about? And who does that tell us more about in that story?
1: Yeah, so as a ceremonial gesture, the board, the Disney board went to Bob Chapek and said, hey, what do you think about taking over Bob Iger's office? This will be a changing of the guard. You'll move into his CEO office. But the way the succession uh, structure was set up, Bob Iger was not gonna leave the company he was gonna stick around as chairman, executive chairman, for 22 more months. So Iger vetoed the plan and he said, no, I wanna keep my office, I'm not leaving Disney. And there was a practical reason why he wanted to keep this office. Uh, There is a private bathroom in the office and Iger is known to wake up really early and work out. So he'd work out, take a shower at home, come to the office and then he would have these Disney premiere events and award shows and banquets and he would take a second shower to get prepared for his night on the town. Uh, Chapek, however, is more of a operational MBA type guy. He had no history with any of the Hollywood creative side of the business. And in fact, the way the plan was structured would be that Iger would stick around at Disney very much so that he could teach Bob Chapek that side of the business over the next 22 months. I know all these Hollywood people, you don't. I need the shower. You don't, and Chapek agreed. He was mm-hmm. like, you know what, fine. I'll, I'll move to a smaller office on the same floor. You keep your office, that's fine. The other part of it is that when Chapek does eventually move into the office, which happens when Iger does leave the company in 2022, Iger's right, Chapek never once uses the shower. Mm-hmm. So it does speak to these two different men. Like even when Chapek is actually running all of Disney, he's still not spending a lot of his time in the Hollywood community because it's just not who he was. Bob Iger,
0: Bob Chapek, two totally different guys, right? And it's funny, when you think about Iger and all this, he's heralded as this great CEO, made all these incredible decisions for Disney, but when it came to picking Chapek as a successor, he told people it was a big career mistake. So what did he miss in all this, and what did he miscalculate?
1: Yeah, so this speaks to a number of different things. One, there was a vetting issue, uh, and I think it speaks to both Iger and the board. Originally, Bob Iger tells Bob Chapek that he's going to meet that Bob Chapek will meet with every member of the Disney board one-on-one in their hometown. This is what Bob Iger did when Michael Eisner named him CEO. It gives the board a chance to ask him any questions that they want. They get to know the CEO a little bit better. Uh, It's sort of like The Bachelor, a Disney show, by the way. Uh, It never happens because the first time Chapek is told this is 2017. That's how far back he was in line to be the CEO. Uh, but Iger at that point renews his contract instead of stepping down because Disney buys Fox and as a condition of buying, or the majority of Fox, as a condition of that deal, Iger agrees to stay with the company. So what Iger has told people since then is that he too quickly approved Chapek, he never spoke with employees who worked under Chapek. To, to, to ask them, how is this guy as a leader? Seems like a big thing that he Seems like then. a big thing, yeah. and he says he vows he will not make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Again, I've heard from the <laughs> reporting. So the key issue that was missed that may have been able to be picked up if the board had done these one-on-one meetings with him is someone asking Bob Chapek, what would happen if Bob Iger decided to kind of come back and, and, and Bigfoot you on this job? Definitely a lot to be learned for the next time.
0: Let's talk about Bob Chapek, because in your reporting, He told folks that it was three years of hell in his role at Disney. So when you think about his time, Don't Say Gay, Scarlett Johansson, some of the misfires there. But then at the same time, what were some of the things that he did well? How do you
1: think about his time in totality at Disney? So two important things here. One, I think the reason he said that this was like three years of hell for me was less to do with the Disney performance and more to do with his own mind telling him that Bob Iger wants his job back, and we'll stop at nothing to get his job back. So some of the good things that Chapek did uh, were he grows Disney Plus very successfully, and the stock really reacts on that during the pandemic. He's able to get the parks through the pandemic. Remember, the the cash faucet of Disney was almost completely turned off in those early pandemic months. They generate billions of dollars from the theme parks. And they had absolutely That went nothing. to zero. Yeah. And Disney had just bought the $71 billion acquisition of Fox. So they had like 45 million plus of debt that they needed to pay off and now had no money coming through the door. So he's able to withstand that. The parks reopened in June, July. Uh, Disney Plus really lifts the stock price higher even while all the parks are shut down and there's no new production. So that's a feather in his cap to realize that he needed to restructure the business around streaming and give investors a reason to buy into the stock, even when the bottom line in terms of revenue uh, looked grim in 2020. So the board rewards him in the end. They do, in fact, extend his contract in 2022. They don't just fire him, even though. They could have at that point. point. He had several communications errors, like you said. The issue with Scarlett Johansson, where they out her salary, which is very un-Disney-like, I go into detail on that in the
0: story. One of the things I loved about your story is that there are all these amazing moments that you chronicle. So let's talk about the one on the plane, where it's Iger, Chapek, Stump the CEO, Disney Annual Meeting. Iger has a certain approach, he's done this before. Chapek is more of a guy who wants to just study all the materials, so why don't you tell the folks this story, and what does this reveal about just foreshadowing that relationship going forward?
1: Yeah, so some of the story is just how people learn, which is interesting, I mean, uh, many people at Disney told me that Chapek preferred to learn by memorizing. So on, in this story, this is the Disney annual meeting two weeks after the announcement is made that Bob Chapek will be taking over as CEO. Uh, so we're, we're talking about March 11th, 2020. Uh, that day, people may mm-hmm. be familiar because that's the day the NBA shuts down and really coronavirus kind of becomes a thing in the United States. But before that happened on that day, there's the Disney annual meeting during the day. That happens sort of at night. And on the plane ride over to Raleigh, North Carolina, where this is happening, uh, which is the night before, Iger and Chapek are talking about uh, something that Iger calls Stump the CEO, which is an annual event at the annual meeting where investors ask questions to the CEO, and they can be on anything. Uh, so, So they're unscripted and some of them can be kind of wild and out there. So the two of them for like an hour or so are at the front of this corporate jet talking about potential questions and also just generally like how coronavirus might affect the business. A couple hours into the flight after the conversation dies down, Chapek goes into the back of the plane where there's a door and a little couch with this big binder of material because he has learned on that flight that he is going to lead the Q&A. He didn't know this because Chapek had never been to an annual meeting before other than one time wow. as, as a guest member in his 27 years at Disney. Wow, and it's like, here you go, you're running we, the company. So now. Iger springs this on him. <laughs> so he retreats into the back of the plane to prepare for the content questions, because again, that's not the area of the company where Chapek has any familiarity at this point. He's just two weeks into the job. So he starts studying about ABC and ESPN, like cramming for a test. Uh, Iger is up at the front of the plate wondering like, why is this guy not running through different role playing kind of scenarios and saying what questions might be asked, you know, uh, how should we do this? You take this one, I take this one. Cause they are both up on stage, even though Iger has told Chapec he's going to be the lead. So at some point during the plane ride, Iger goes back to JPEG and, and is like, Hey, you, you want to run through some stuff here? And JPEG holds up the binder and says like, well, isn't it all in here? And Iger's like, well, yeah, but like the nuances aren't just kind of the answers. And Chapek basically says to him, like, I'm good, actually. Like, he doesn't really, I think, say, this is how I learn. But from what I was able to piece together, that is how he learns. Like, he he does better if he's just memorizing stuff. And it's one of the first times that Iger realizes maybe this guy is not the guy I thought he would be as
0: my successor. And the wild part is that this whole thing will happen again, just with different people now. So when you look forward, like you mentioned before, Iger theoretically has learned some things from the past. How do you think succession will go the next time? And do you really think that Iger can
1: walk away after what he was unable to do last time? That is the $64,000 question here. (laughs) Overwhelmingly, when I ask that question to past and present Disney executives, mostly past Disney executives, they say to me, I don't think Iger will walk away. He'll either sell the company or he'll stay as long as he can. And different reasons will come up and he'll just keep pushing and pushing. But he is 72 years old. And from my reporting, he swears that by the end of 2026, he wants to retire. He does not want to be at the company anymore in any capacity. uh, What I'm told is that the likely timeline for a successor to be named is early 2025. And that Iger will do one of two things he'll e- either name that person COO, but with the explicit uh, a tag that he that, or she will be the new CEO, or Iger will once again bump up to executive chairman and help this person along for the next, you know, say 22 months, that was about the timeline it was for JPEG. Which is interesting because clearly in Iger's mind and maybe in the board's mind, the, the problem is not the process, the problem is the person whereas you could certainly argue that the problem was the process and that no person with Bob Iger hovering over them as executive chairman will be able to do exactly what they want because Iger will still be the de facto CEO. I guess the argument there is that what Iger's kind of saying here is that no matter what role I'm in, I'm going to run this company until 2026. And maybe we should just make it more defined. That's why if I were to guess a betting man, I would guess Iger sticks around as CEO this time, and just names someone COO, where everyone knows that that person is taking over because then it will be very defined. Very I clear. still run this company. So there you have it. That's Alex Sherman. Stories on
0: CNBC.com. Disney's wildest ride. Alex, thank you, man. Appreciate thank you. It.
1: Disclosure: Comcast is the parent company of NBC Universal, which owns CNBC.